you. Good. I am so happy to see you. I mean, this is probably the fifth time we've tried to record this podcast. We've had some technical issues. We've had some internet issues. I think we're going to get this one. So super happy you're here. Yeah. So yeah, 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 yeah. Well worth the wait. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Exactly, exactly. So, hey, we, I think we're going to have a really great conversation today for some of our pre-calls that we've had. Um, we're going to talk a lot about kind of your career shift uh, later in your midlife, um, talking a little bit about some of the ups and downs there, following your heart versus following your head. Um, but first of all, you and I met uh, through a mutual friend uh, when I was living in Toronto, uh, I guess probably for the first couple of months type of thing. Um, and we became fast friends and we had uh, some nice coffee chats and I really uh, appreciate you as a person and just sort of bouncing things off of you and really getting your insight, which is actually going to lead to a little bit about what you do and, and how you do it. So I'm going to hand the floor over to you, Teresa, and just kind of give us a lowdown on who you are, what you do, and uh, give us a little bit of the yeah, background. Thank you. Before I do that, though, I just want to acknowledge um, that meeting and how we were in similar stages in some way. We were both, you know, doing, testing something new, putting our feet in the water, and you were incredibly generous. And you offered to use a program that you were working on to support me in building my business. And that was just right. kind of like, that really struck me. So I think we became fast friends in part because of that incredible generosity. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Thank you for that. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So where did it lead? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I am a transformational leadership coach, executive coach. Uh, my focus is on leadership development. Uh, my mission is to make the world a better place through better leadership. And I do that by helping leaders on their leadership journey. One of the things I always feel compelled to clarify for people is what it means to be a leader. And I believe that we all have the potential to be great leaders. And we all are leaders in one aspect or another in our lives. The vast majority of the clients that I work with are in corporate and startup environments, um, but I also work with people in nonprofits, and I have also worked with people who are in between gigs, making transitions. It's kind of uh, across the board, but they are leaders of one sort or another. Hello, people in the office. just close my blind here for a moment. Uh, sorry about that. Um, I had to work in a co-working space for everybody who, who's not watching this on video and who's just listening to it. Um, I just had, I'm in an office that, uh, you know, people were walking behind <laughs> me. So just close the blind. So <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Teresa. yeah. Uh, okay. So yes. So yeah. yeah. So that's been three years almost, right? I met you pretty much three years wow. ago, um, pre-pandemic right? And, um, and I was, I was toying with this idea. I had just come off the back of a, a very short stint at a technology startup. And, uh, and I knew that what I did not want was more of the same. 
And so I, I was taking during that period, I was taking some time to step back and really explore what is it that I want to do? What is it about the work that I have done historically that has most excited me, where I have felt most fulfilled, where I have been most excited? And I became a leader in my career very early on and kind of like at, at, it wasn't long into my career when I started leading leaders. And so helping others to grow and develop and become the best that they can be, uh, typically in a leadership capacity, was the part of my work that I enjoyed most. It was not my functional expertise. I'm not an HR or, you know, people operations person, professional. Um, I've always been revenue driving, client facing, uh, general management. And... um, and while that functional functional expertise um, was what really fueled my career, what really fueled me as a human was working with the other humans, with the people that were, whether they reported to me, reported to somebody who reported to me, or were in a completely different department entirely. It didn't really matter. That was really the part where I felt that my heart am, was in the work. So that led me to this. So when we were chatting, right, exactly. So when we were chatting, you talked a lot about like sort of thinking that you wanted certain jobs and that you were going after these different jobs. So take us, uh, take us a little bit through your career, some of the highlights of it. I know you were at Microsoft for a while, then you took a bit of a break and then you started to get into the startup. So take us, give us a little bit of a timeline and then that, that one moment where you were hustling and getting that job you thought you wanted and then you realize oops yeah uh, yeah maybe not so yeah much. good learn that's what I call that it was a good learn so yeah. um, my career was yeah. primarily spent in organizations at the crux of media and technology so when I was starting out in my career I worked in newsprint and I worked at uh, a national newspaper and then I moved into digital and I was working for a, a, a Canadian portal. And then I joined Microsoft and I spent six years at Microsoft. I loved my time there. I learned so much. Um, and then I left that place and I joined a, a local startup and it was still a digital media startup. And that's where I spent a big chunk of my career and probably had the most significant professional growth until I moved into what I'm doing today. And, um, and I, you know, I joined that organization at a director level, eventually became president and went through a lot of my own growth as a leader within that organization. And then for a number of reasons, we closed that business. And I, at that point made a decision that I wanted to go tech only, right? I'd had enough of media. It wasn't jazzing me anymore. I was not excited in that space. And I was really going to, you know, I want to make a contribution to the innovation um, uh, environment in Canada. And I was going to join a startup and I was going to bring all the things that I'd learned and all my leadership skills. And it was going to be amazing. And I was really going to help some amazing startup really go. And, uh, and I just, honest to God, I think I had three verbal offers 
over the period of time that I was doing that. When I also started my own business along with three co-founders and was running that, as I was thinking, okay, moving into this innovation economy, I got three verbal offers. All of them fell through. It was like the universe was like, here you go. No, you don't. Here you go. No, you don't. Here you go. Oh, sorry. Finally, this opportunity came together and it came together very, very quickly. And I went into this organization. I was super excited about it. And I wasn't even at the three month mark. And I knew that it had been a misstep. Um, There was misalignment with values. There was some, I'm going to call it misunderstanding about, you know, really where the organization was at. And what I had to offer and what I brought to the table was not what this organization needed. And so it was a real mismatch. Um, And it ended, you know, what I was hoping would happen happened. And it ended after about nine months there. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I really pushed the universe to the point where it was like, okay, lady, here you go. And that was what I needed to really see that I didn't want to work for somebody else anymore. I didn't want to go in and build somebody else's business. I really didn't want to continue to do that functional expertise that I had always had such success with. That really what I wanted to do was help other leaders to be their best. I really wanted to have an impact on the world in a way that helped, um, helped everyone who was in the space of those leaders have ha- have better lives. Yeah. There's a ripple effect when a leader is good. Okay. I'm going to just pause you there because there's a couple of things that you said that I want to just sort of unpack a little bit. So when you were on this mission, you, you left the sort of the digital side of things and you were going to get into this startup world. And I mean, that was back in like, what year was that? Cause that was kind of like the, the big buzz was to yeah. get into a startup. 2017 so like, probably. 2016, yeah, exactly, 2017. Exactly. Everybody, yeah, exactly. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, you know, the Silicon Valley kind of thing. Um, okay, so so you wanted to get into that. You, I, I think maybe you were maybe possibly drawn by the lure of all of that, the hype around it. But you said that you had also, you you were running a business as well at the same time? Yeah. Is that what, yeah? And so what was that business? That's, that business was, um, it, it was kind of like heyday of Airbnb and uh, short-term booking platforms. And I had started a business with three co-founders that was Toronto-based. And it was uh, full-service turnkey short-term and medium-term rental management. So we had, I, there was a designer on the team. One of my co-founders was a designer. And so we were coming to your space furnish it, design it, set it up, rent it out, manage the booking platform, manage the cleaners, do everything. And at the end, we just send you a check. And so uh, we, my co-founders and I were in the, were building that when uh, I had this other opportunity that came through. That company is called Nesty, still run and owned by one of my co-founders. It's amazing. It is no longer short-term. Wow. It is uh, long-term rentals really primarily focused on serving the uh, film industry in, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing, sure. beautiful spaces. Yeah. So tell me then, 
why didn't you stay and nurture that? Like, what was your gut saying to you at the time when you were like, oh, no, I'm sure I'm yeah. gonna, I've got this. There's this, like, typically that kind of startup requires you to be all in, yeah. you know, committed, but yet you felt this still this draw, this allure to get into the startup space. So what was yeah. in your mindset yeah. at that time yeah. that said, I'm going to just go and, and look at something else too? Yeah, I think there was a combination of things. One. I have historically been a person who um, kind of has a vision or a goal and is uh, a bit of a snowplow in pursuit. Like I'm just plowing shit aside as I go for that particular thing, right? So I had this vision and then one of my co-founders, two of my co-founders had come and said they had this idea and was it something that I was interested in getting involved in? And I was like, well, you know, as I'm pursuing this, that sounds really interesting. I'd love to do that. And I'd love to exercise those entrepreneurial chops. And yeah, I'm in. And when what it is that I'm looking for comes to fruition, I can decide whether or not this is something I can do both of them or if I need to focus on this new opportunity only. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't an industry that I was like really like committed to. But it was certainly going to be a real learning experience for me. And that excited me. And I really like these people. So, yeah, I'd love to work with. Wow. Okay, so that's really interesting. So that's the idea of like, yeah, understanding what you're kind of getting into and testing it a little bit. So it wasn't like that you wanted to be part of you know, the, the roll up the sleeves work piece of it, you wanted, you, you just enjoyed the, the concept, the vision, and then you wanted to work with these people. Okay. So interesting. So, okay. So then you get your, your role in the startup, because again, you know, I'll, I'll use your metaphor, a snow plow in the snow, just forging forward, because we're always in a goal. And just to step back, guilty as charged, I've always been focused more on the destination. And just over the past year, I've really started to like, ooh, get used to the idea of just the journey yeah. <laughs> and the steps that you take and then kind of being in flow. And I want to get into that a little bit. So you're at the startup, you realize right away, uh, you know, or very, in very short time that you are not a fit for this organization. This organization isn't what you thought. Uh, it doesn't, as you mentioned, doesn't fit your values and such, but why do you suppose you, 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 you got into that, even though you know that it wasn't a cultural fit. And, and what I'm trying to get at here is sometimes what we do is because we think we want something so badly, we all of a sudden start creating that story in our head and we start to think, yeah, like we make it the right thing versus listening to our intuition right at the beginning. And so could you say that perhaps your intuition was talking to you even before you took the job? Oh. One thousand percent, one thousand percent. There were, you know, like another metaphor that I use a lot with my clients and myself is I, I was because I was a snowplow, I was just pushing all the breadcrumbs away. There was no following any breadcrumbs. This was one hundred percent me saying, this is it. This is what I want. And any evidence to the contrary was completely ignored. You know, I had somebody who gave me a a blaring red flag and said, I'm not sure 
like who knew this organization better than me. I'm not sure these are going to be like, this is the place. I'm not like, I just want to let you know what my experience is here. And I was like, okay, thanks very much. On I go. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's the story that we make in our minds becomes reality. And we, we, we immediately put up these walls because we think, yes, this is what we want. But instead our, our, our gut and our, our intuition is telling us no. Okay. So you're in the company, it's three months and you're thinking, oh my God, how am I going to back out of this now? <laughs> well, and nine months later you yeah. get an opportunity to back out. So now you go home and you say to your wife, I've quit my job or I'm leaving this company. What, what happened? Yeah. What actually happened was I knew I wanted out. I was like putting all the vibration out there that, that this was not a fit and it was mutual, right? Well, the organization had just gone through a major round of layoffs. We let like 30 people go. It was clear that, that, you know, that there was going to be further change. So it was a mutual decision and it was a huge relief. And I went home and I said to my wife, well, that's done. And it was, you know, I think a lot of people when, um, when they are laid off, even if it is mutual, um, you know, there's a lot of ego that is impacted. I didn't feel that so much. I knew it wasn't right. And I had already begun to think about what it is that I wanted to do. And I was super lucky. My wife is incredibly supportive. She's like, whatever you want to do, right? Like, sure, right? Like, whatever's next, don't worry, we'll figure it out. And as I started to kind of just, you know, maybe talk to people, network a little bit, some of the breadcrumbs started to reappear. And opportunities started to come up. And, you know, I had had somebody... One of the breadcrumbs had been like two years prior, probably a former colleague of mine from Microsoft had asked me if I would come in and do a short contract gig. And it was really around people development. And at the time, you know, I was doing this other business and I I was like, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that. But I reached out to him and I was like, so tell me more about what that was, who you brought in and what they did. And also what did they charge you? Well, I mean, we didn't go quite into that much depth, but, and And I was like, I could do that. And he was like, oh, for sure you could do that. And you could have probably done it in shorter time. And you probably would have done a better job. And so I said, here's what I'm thinking. And he said, if you decide to do that, I want to be one of your first customers. So he ran a small ad agency. Okay. So again, just uh, I want to go back up a little bit. So when you say the breadcrumbs reappeared, so these breadcrumbs were showing up well, you were the, in the snowplow mode of taking this job at this startup. Okay, very good, very good. So you now you've got this time. Now you've been, you know, it's mutual layoff. So you're, you're laid off from your job um, and you are, you know, in this situation and you go back you go home, you tell your wife, your kids, and they're completely fine um, about it. And they're super supportive, which not everybody would be. They'd be freaking out. So good on that. Um and and not even just like freaking out, even from a financial standpoint, but just like, just, I don't know. I think uncertainty just dr- brings itself into the forefront uh, when, when change happens. So 
how did you stay calm? How did you go back and, like you said, see those breadcrumbs reappear? Yeah. And you reached out. Yeah. I actually think. What was the um, thinking process? Yeah. I think one of the big things for me at the time was my identity was not tied to my work. And I think people freak out when their identity is tied to what they do and they don't know who they are if they're not that. I love that. That is, you know, and you can even say that now, like I know for myself the past couple of years, I've had, I am stripping myself of this mom hustler identity. And so you tell me more about the identity that you had attached yourself to. Yeah. So I guess the identity that I remain attached to today that has been a common thread is that identity as a leader. And that doesn't mean that I have direct reports and that I have a team that reports to me. It means that I am somebody who steps up. It means that I am somebody who takes accountability. It means that I am someone who um, isn't afraid to share their thoughts or their um, beliefs and, um, and prepared to influence others around those things. And so that, that identity is, is a common thread through much of my adult life. Um, but I wasn't tied to those functional areas and to titles. And mm -hmm. I had never actually even really pursued titles in a strong way. I really felt, I feel like in my career, often those hierarchical titles that I did achieve were, were given to me without me saying, this is what I want next. I'm going there. Now, that's not to say I didn't ask for new jobs that had titles associated yeah. with them, but it wasn't because I needed that title. So I really feel like I had kind of gone through this phase where I'd left Olive, I'd been the president, I started this new company, titles didn't really matter there, right? And then yeah. I went to this new startup and, you know, I was going in at a VP level, but I didn't really care because it was, it was exciting work and it looked like it was going to be important stuff. And so, you know, I wasn't really tied to here's, you know, what I do is what I am. Too many other things yeah, on no. the go. Lynette to be yeah. tied to uh, yeah. what I do is what I am, right? Yeah, I love that. I love that. Okay, so you're you're you've taken a step back, you are analyzing the breadcrumbs that you were plowing through originally. And you know, it, it sort of sounds like you did a lot of work around your purpose as well. I mean, you're, you're very clear in terms of that vein of leadership. You, you're passionate about it. It's how you see yourself, you you represent yourself. So what was the process that you went through that made you affirm that purpose, if you will? Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to step back a little bit and, um, yes. and clarify something. You said I didn't analyze the breadcrumbs. I just started to notice them. Okay. okay I just good. started okay, to notice them. I was you. like, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Oh, there's more of that. That's interesting. Um, uh, so that's kind of, okay. you know, it wasn't so much like there was no heavy thinking involved. Right. Right. And, um, and I knew that I had had 
a positive impact as a leader. You know, people had come to me for mentoring, like official mentoring. And, you know, the feedback that I received from people who had worked with me around, you know, their experience with me as a leader versus some other people that they had worked with was really positive. So I knew, and I had strong beliefs about leaders. I'd experienced crappy leaders and I'd experienced great leaders. And I knew the impact that those two polar opposites could have on not just my career, but my life in general. And I really wanted to um, do something that was going to have a ripple effect. And what greater ripple effect could I have than to take something that I felt strongly about that I felt I, you know, did a pretty good job at. Like, I mean, there's plenty of room for improvement because I'm human. Um, But I was a pretty good leader overall and have a ripple effect by working with leaders who work with others, who work with others, who work with others. So it just got more and more clear. And then on top of that, Like, I have such a passion for learning this stuff. I had always been super interested in all of the leadership development opportunities that I had had, particularly at Microsoft, also at Olive Media, where I worked and was part of Four Star Digital. We had a lot of opportunities to grow as leaders. All that stuff was really interesting to me. So I was like, okay, so what does it look like if I do this? And I started talking to people who were doing it. I got myself a coach and I worked with you to write, like, look at what's the strategy behind this. What do I have to do? Where's the action that I need to move into to make this happen? Yeah, no, that's great. Okay. So we're clear now on, or you're clear now on your purpose. Uh, You know, you've got a bit of a, an action plan. You've got a vision, a vision, and then an action plan. So you create the Leadersmith. Leader show show yeah. your coffee cup. Come on, oh, this yeah. is your opportunity. Right. Of course, my last on. name is Smith. It's a little play on words, the Leadersmith. Yeah. It's a beautiful logo. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about that. I'm just going to, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because I also get this as well. Teresa, there's a million coaches out there. What makes you think you can stand out amongst the crowd? How did you, because obviously now you're going to get into a a tiny bit of imposter syndrome, possibly, uh, or how do I get my clients? Where do I get started? So give us a little bit of how you approach those, uh, I guess, boxes, how to maneuver, maneuver around them. I would say the first thing in there is, um, you know, this idea of standing out. There's a million coaches. I don't really worry about standing out versus or against or amongst the other coaches. I'm really not comparing myself to others as much as possible, like within the realms of being a human being. Um, I really just try to compare myself to me and and earlier versions of myself. So, you know, what, What I try to focus on is being the best version of myself because I know when I'm on that my energy attracts the people that want to be in my energy. And I've got this, I had this mantra for a long time. Gosh, I haven't used it in so long. Let me see if I can remember it. Um, I uh, I have the confidence to know I am not for all, but I am for many. 
And no, I have the wisdom to know I am not for all, but I am for many. And the confidence to know for those many, I am magical. Wow, that's great. I love it. I love so it. I'm not so for everybody. Yeah, I know that, right? I know that. Some people I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be like an emery board. They're going to be like, oh, I don't like her style. That's cool. I've got to like my style. Yeah. There's people who love it. There's people who really want to be in my energy. And those are the okay. people that, you know, I resonate with. And those are the people I work with. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, so then... A lot of people will get tripped up on where to start, where to get my clients. What do I name this thing? How do I brand my company? So what, what were the steps that you took there? Yeah, that was super exciting for me. I, I don't feel like I got too tripped up there. Like that whole idea of creating those things was like, like uh, there was a lot of momentum around that. Um, but really what how I started was um, this was something that I was playing with in my mind. I met a coach at a networking event hosted by a very good friend of mine. And uh, she reached out to see if I wanted to have a free session. I said, sure, because I was really curious about this coaching thing. And I was just really transparent with her right from the get-go. I was like, listen, I said yes to this call because I'm thinking about becoming a coach. And I really am curious about your journey. And she was like, cool, let's do it. Well, then I started working with her. I've now worked with her twice, like nine and 10 months each. And, and it was in working with her that I really was able to put all this stuff into play, right? Like, so from the point of getting a little bit of info from her, but she's a coach. So she, and she's not a business coach. She wasn't there to tell me how to do it. She was there to ride shotgun with me while I did it my way, the way that was right for me, and to make sure that I wasn't tripping myself up with my own mindset, with my own self-limiting beliefs and those sorts of things. So that was really, you know, that was really pivotal for me to really get going. And then like what I've done over the course of the three years of, of the work that I'm doing is I've worked with different coaches based on what it is that I needed. So I've never felt like a solopreneur. I have what I feel is a really strong network of both coaches whom I've paid to work with and coaches who are peer coaches with me and we coach each other. You mentioned a mastermind before we started recording. I have a mastermind that I work with. Um, yeah. You know, so there, I always feel like I have the support that I need and the resources from somebody who's maybe a step or two ahead of me. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. And, and I think, you know, masterminds, I think maybe, uh, you know, really the underlying tone of a mastermind for everybody listening is, you know, just really building this community that is allowing you to express your challenges and your frustrations. And like you said, there's always going to be days where your mindset is maybe not quite there. And you need that little pick-me-upper. And I, I've been, um, as you, in a mastermind, uh, weekly mastermind, which I called the early birds because we get up very early on Tuesday, every Tuesday. And we literally have been together for almost a year and a half now. And it's been amazing to see how everybody's sort of evolved. And it's, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. So masterminds, I am like big on. Um, but I always just think it's just really, you're just building your community, you know? So yeah. it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you've got leadership going, uh, or pardon me, the leader, the leader Smith going, pardon me, 
and you now are mentoring men, women, but I want to uh, drill, drill down a little bit specifically on the women, especially women who are in midlife, who are getting coaching from you. So I don't know if you can draw on one or two examples or, but what is it that you find? Is there, is there a common theme within those women uh, that you see, need to kind of hone in on? And if yes, what is it? And um, how do you approach coaching those women leaders? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, this is an interesting question because in order to like kind of get into what is the theme, I really have to pull back some layers, right? Because sure, they come to it. me for different reasons, right? You know, common reason is, um, you know, I want more confidence. I want to feel more confident in my decision making or things like this, right? There's just, I want to be a better leader. I'm, I'm hungry for growth. Um, and then there is, I'm not inspired by my leaders at work. That's a common one, particularly as the women get more senior, right? So some of my C-suite um, uh, leaders who are women are like, I don't see any leaders around me that I want to be liking, right? So this is really uncovering for them self-leadership in a new way. But I think one of the underlying themes is kind of really in a way when I reflect on it deprogramming women from a lot of what we have been rewarded for in early life so you know leaders who come to me and are on the verge of burnout are often taking on too much and that can be people pleasing. It can also be hyper achiever, right? So there's also this external um, motivation, external accolades that they focus on. All of that is kind of based on, you know, living up to somebody else's expectation or getting somebody else's approval. That tends to be a theme. The confidence thing is people pleasing. Um, and it's, I mean, in all honesty, it's not limited to women. Um, but yeah. But it seems to be a theme for the women that I work with in particular. And so is there anything that you can share, like just one or two sort of things that you try to get them to focus on that will help with that confidence? Yeah. Um, well, the one of the things that I, I mean, it's at the basis, right? It's like the foundation of my coaching is raising awareness. And right. so just like I, I kind of corrected your language earlier about analyzing the breadcrumbs, it was just about noticing the breadcrumbs. Yeah. It's so important yeah. that we start to notice whether it's a voice in our own head or the behaviors or our reactions. So I am certified, uh, I'm a certified positive intelligence coach. And so positive intelligence, which is really about uncovering those nasty voices in our head. Um, that really limit us. That is really a, a big part of the coaching that I do. But just raising awareness in general, like asking those questions that say, and what does that mean? And tell me more about that. And what happens if that's true? And what if it's not true? And just like really exploring with my clients so that they can start to see, you know, one of the things I love about what I do is this, you know, um, 
aspect of psychology that is included in coaching. And I have spent a number of the last, well, almost a year, but a, a good amount of time um, learning about adult development and the stages of adult development. And that's fascinating. And yeah. so much of adult development is moving things that are inside that we are not conscious of to the outside so that they become an object that we can see. Oh, this is the noticing. Oh, I see it now. Now I have choice. Now I have agency. And when I have choice and agency, well, now I can be intentional. So I like to move, like with my clients, I think if there were something that happens is we go with awareness, we move into like that awareness and noticing, having choice and agency and becoming intentional. It's really like leadership is so important that we're not reacting to the -hmm. situations around us, whether you're a leader as a parent in your community, at work, whatever it is, right? If we can move through awareness to choice, to being intentional, we are now deliberate creators and we create our own lives. And as we approach midlife or, you know, move into midlife or enjoy midlife, if we are at the stage of adult development that is known as the self-authoring mind, we are now we're now in a place where we are deliberate creators of our lives. And I love that. And I want to actually now take that and turn that onto you because a three-year journey of starting a business, uh, you know, the leaders, the leadersmith business, finding clients, marketing, figuring out what your offer is, uh, adjusting to that. I mean, that in itself is, you know, you have to have a very strong, uh, and capable mindset to to keep yourself moving forward. And when you and I uh, were on our pre-call, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, finding self-care, but then we sort of dug a little bit deeper and realized, well, maybe it's more than just self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And you, yeah. And you said to me, I'm going to hand it yeah. to you. Yeah. Um, I think that what is so important about this stage uh, in my life and my experience is to be gentle, to be gentle with myself um, and have grace. And so like self-care, yes, I want to take care of myself. But outside of taking care of myself, what is like so critical, like lots of people engage in forms of self-care, but they still have those voices in their head that are so the part that doesn't get covered in self-care is how we talk to ourselves. It's really about the voices that are going on in our head and how harsh we can be with ourselves. And a lot of times we don't even hear it in the sense that it's a voice. It's just part of who we are. And so this idea of getting to a point where we can be gentle with ourselves and we can have grace with ourselves, I think that's when we get to that place so much possibility opens up. Love that. And you know, Teresa, um, we've been chatting for about 42, 43 minutes. um, And it has just been amazing uh, chatting with you. And I want to end on that note about self-care, taking it a little bit further into being gentle. And there was one thing that you said to me, it's a book you're reading, but I want you to just give the key message on giving yourself an A. So let, let's 
let's let's bring it home with that final thought. Yeah. So breadcrumbs from the universe. You had mentioned yeah. this book. Another friend of mine had mentioned this book. Just so happened, I picked it up and started reading it last week. And then one of my clients sent me a picture. She was reading the book. I'm like, okay, I was clearly meant to read this book. The book is The Art of Possibility by uh, Rosamond uh, Stone Zander and Benjamin Zander. And the chapter that really stood out for me was chapter three. I think it's chapter three, and it's called Giving an A. And the idea behind that is that if we stop waiting for people, others, or ourselves to achieve before we give ourselves or grade ourselves, then we can actually begin to live into something that we give ourselves up front. So this idea of giving an A is like, I know personally, I'm probably giving out a lot of Bs and maybe even some Cs, particularly to the people that are close to me. And I, I read this chapter and I was like blown away by how that limits. Like if people in your life can never achieve greater than a B, like they're going to feel that. And if, you know, in the, in this chapter, Benjamin, who teaches a music class says to his whole class, you're all going to get an A. You're all going to get an A. You've got an A. Now the semester begins. Now those students start to live up to the A. They see the possibility of themselves being an A student. They start to live their lives. Their self-image becomes an A student. So this idea of giving ourselves an A is like, I'm freaking like, this is it, man. This is, this is, I'm doing it. I'm an A. And then we start to behave. If we can tell ourselves that and it sinks into our subconscious, then our actions and our possibilities follow the A, not the B or the C. Yeah. And, and that's great. And I, you're right. I, I mean, I read that book many years ago and I, I loved the whole concept of it. Um, you know, the, we hold ourselves at such a high bar. A lot of us do. And that, and therefore we hold the other people around us, the close people that we love, our friends, our coworkers to that same bar. And I think we've got to just say, we all are at that bar is what you're saying. Wake up every day and, and think of yourself in this uh, very gentle way that you're doing the best you can and you can absolutely overcome anything you want. Um, it all starts with giving yourself that permission to do it. And I think that's the message. Also in that book, he talks a lot about contribution versus accomplishment. So what did you contribute to the day? What did you contribute to that project? What did you contribute to your kids' lives? Wh whatever. Um, and I really, that really resonated with me as well, because that's meant, you know, it's much more collaborative and you don't have to feel like every day you're accomplishing something. And it's more about what am I contributing to society? And it just, oh, all of a sudden it takes this pressure off of yeah. you, this high bar standard, everything. And it just allows you to maneuver in the world uh in such a great way so Teresa. yeah I really love that one too and what what I want I, can I touch on that one for one yeah, second yeah what I love about that is that is about our impact yes right so much of like contribution is the impact and what is the impact that we are leaving behind or having on people and when we get intentional about that that's when the magic happens yeah I love it. I love it. 
Okay, where can people find you, Teresa? Um, uh, well, they can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Teresa D. Smith. They can find me on Instagram. I am Teresa Smith. Um, they can find me on my website, www.theleadersmith.ca. .ca. Okay, perfect. Hey, listen, I loved our conversation today. You are a joy to listen to. Um, I hope that we'll have another opportunity to bring you back on. Um, and thank you again for your time. We finally made it happen. So uh, I'm feeling good about this one. <laughs> Five times is a charm. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Talk to you thank soon. Thank you, Lynette. Love you. It's been okay. a real pleasure. Bye. Okay, take Mwah. care. Bye.